Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Don't miss Shop, Play, Win Monopoly at Safeway. You could win free groceries for a week, month, or a year. Every ticket wins an offer, a prize, or tokens for sweepstakes. Just scan your tickets in the Shop, Play, Win app and see what you won. And be sure to play the digital game with over 100 million in prizes. Download the Shop, Play, Win app to play today. No purchase necessary. See rules at www.shopplaywin.com. Hasbro is not a sponsor of this promotion. You're listening to The Wobbly Road on Transmission Roundhouse. I'm your host, Tatum Swithenbank. When I became disabled at age 18, I experienced years of limbo before getting a diagnosis, and the road continues to change and challenge. On each episode, I'll be chatting to guests about their off-kilter moments and how they've endured, adapted, and flourished. This episode, I chat to author, facilitator, and speaker, Chris Hemmings. I just want to note that we recorded this a while ago, before the pandemic. We go on numerous tangents about macho culture, sexuality, brotherhood and empathy. Content warning, harassment against women. If you feel comfortable, can you talk about some kind of previous behaviours and environments that you were in? Yeah, I mean, I have to feel comfortable because this is what I do now. I basically grew up in uh, East Manchester um, in a, a family that was amazing, like totally loved, uh, two older brothers, mum and dad, dad told me love me all the time, mum loved me way too much in a, in a really great way. I always got everything that I needed, never everything that I wanted, I wasn't spoiled, like my life was great. Like I am the epitome of privilege, like honestly. Um, and I went to a private school because my two older brothers did and so I kind of had to. And I was the captain of the football team and at that point, I wasn't too bad because the football culture, while it's a bit laddie, it's not insidious as, as much, really, at that age. And then I got... Puberty was not kind to me. And because my two older brothers had played rugby and uh, I was really sporty, like, I was also on the first 11 cricket team. Like, it was all... You know, I was, I was that kid. And they were like, right, Hemmings, go and play rugby. And I remember being told by people in my family and people at school, like, you're too soft to play rugby. And there was just this little thing inside me that was just like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm going to play rugby and I'm going to be good at it. I wasn't. I was awful at it. But I carried on playing. And I even made it to the first 15 rugby team, mainly because that year my school team were awful. But after after leaving school, like I kind of real, I didn't realise at the time, I'd, I got caught up in this rugby mentality. And by the time I got to university, I still carried on playing rugby and I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. I found myself at what I would call like the zenith of like lad culture of shirtless, chanting men, dominating space, acting with impunity, boorish, lack of empathy, all of the things that you can imagine. We were exacerbating all those problems around campus and we were exemplifying the worst traits of 
masculine male spaces. So much so, and I've, I've talked about this before and I write about this as the opening story in my book. I found myself as a fresher, stood on a door with a pint of snake bite in my hand. I was told, quote, I was on door duty and if any birds, again, quote, were to enter our room that we'd booked out, I had to throw my drink on them. So I'd done it once before and I hadn't felt any remorse for it because I had... So I subsequently realised that I'd obviously subdued my empathy and I was more interested in gaining the social credits from the men in the room rather than understanding the physical pain of and emotional pain of the person that I was basically attacking. So then I was on door duty and this time as I arrived back, I saw a, see a pair of female legs descending down the stairs and I was just like, and I was ready to, to perform the actions of a, of a group of men who would suffer no consequences for them. Only this time, the woman walking down the stairs was my friend Holly. So in my brain, there was a bit of conflict. And I didn't recognise the, the double standards at the time because I was an idiot. I said to the group, like, I, I can't do this, this is my friend. And so, obviously, that made them more keen for me to do it because that would have negative repercussions for me and it would be a real test of, where, of whose side I was on, right? And I did it. Threw a drink on her and ruined... She was dressed up for a birthday. She was looking for a birthday party in the student union, like, ah. Uh. I remember seeing, like, the moment that she, like, what the f what what like she was like fighting back tears because again she'd basically been attacked by this guy for no reason other than she opened the wrong door and there's like 40 shirtless men like chaff like chanting and high-fiving and laughing at her expense something inside me tweaked and i felt really weird about it this was right towards the end of my first year now by that time i'd already been elected to be the social secretary of the club in the second year and i went ahead with that but then there was an incident where so this is just my personal experience. I'm going to get some of the worst stuff. Then there was an incident where I was told by the third years then when I was the second year that I wasn't being hard enough on the freshers. I wasn't bullying them enough. So all the freshers were naked because rugby, I don't know. Um, and yeah, 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 ridiculous. Um, and there was a guy who stood there and he had this like loose hanging skin around his midriff. And I remember pointing him out. And, 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 and someone had said to me, you're not being hard on them. So I remember pointing out, pointing out this guy to everyone and li literally saying the words, look how disgusting this guy is. Like, that's what I said to another human being. And it was the first and only time in my life that I'd properly bullied someone. I saw again the moment that I made another human being feel a certain way. But this time, I had this just like, the twinge that I got last time was like, a, like something open inside me. And I had this flood of emotion and... I realised what that was now was my empathy had returned because I'm a natural empath. I now teach it in schools. Like, it's ridiculous. And I felt sick. I felt out of place. I felt wrong. I felt dirty, awful. And I backed out of the room. I basically didn't go back to the club again, really. I, I extricated myself from the club and, yeah. And do you think you numbed down so much of your empathy because there's, like, the danger of being pushed out of the pack. And it's just survival mode, isn't it? That's exactly it. It's the social suicide. When lad culture starts developing, the pack mentality, the alpha males in the pack, and I hate that phrase because alpha male is just a concept that's been in, that's been invented. But, the, you know, the guys who go through puberty first and are the biggest and strongest and fastest and hardest, um, if, you wanna, if you want to use that word, they get to dictate what the rules are within the social sphere. And within that sphere... If, you're, if you start calling out those behaviours, you're risking social suicide, which I, as a microcosm of an example, did because by my third year at university, I had no one to live with because all my friends were in the rugby club. It's really interesting. Now you can recognise those double standards of, I don't want to do this because it's a friend, yeah. rather than a woman who, you right. know, you're kind of dehumanising right. a woman unless yeah. you are connected to the woman. It's the same argument that people make and they go, but what about your daughter? Yeah. Or what about your mother? And it's like, 
What about just respecting anyone. people? Yeah, anyone, yeah, yeah. 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 Not throwing a drink on a random person for walking into a room. <laughs> yeah. Just basic decency. But that's the point is, so I didn't have the empathy there. But also, none of the guys in the room had any empathy for me either. If anything, they had the opposite. Um, but I do genuinely believe that some of the guys in that room will have done and will have felt uncomfortable. But the pack mentality meant that they weren't able to call it out, and I wasn't, and I wasn't brave enough and strong enough to to say no. I was pathetic and weak in that moment. I'm happy to admit that. You're all kind of like holding up a facade yeah. and trying to, and actually, this isn't benefiting anyone. Yeah. But it's like this is the structure, and this is how it's going to go. And, that, and that's actually the the thing that I'm most ashamed of. Um, I talk about this now and not actually like those two incidents are just two incidents of many that I witnessed and or was actually participated in. But actually, some of the things that I witnessed are the things I'm most ashamed of, the things that I saw other men do to each other within the club, but also to people external to the club. And I stood there and I laughed and I clapped or even I just stayed silent and felt uncomfortable and didn't intervene. Those are the things I'm most ashamed of. Being a bystander. Being a bystander to awful things. I'm not saying that my things weren't awful. Of course they were, but I'm talking about things that are much worse. Can you give um, any examples? Yeah, well, there's one example okay. in my book. There's a, there was a game that some of the guys used to play where they'd actually go up to women in clubs and they'd start dancing with them at the side of them and they'd just start pissing on their legs. And then like buckaroo style, like hold on to them for as long as they can. And I knew it was going on. And I never actually laughed or cheered along with that, but I knew it was happening. And I had the I could have the opportunity to go to any form form of authority in the club in the in the club we were at sorry in the rugby club itself and speak to the to the senior guys and say what the hell how is this acceptable or even to the university and I didn't because I was again pathetic like realize that now I walked around like I was this big old tough brave rugby player and yet I'm so pathetic that I can't even call behaviors like that out and this is what I'm trying to I'm trying to, re, to co-opt this bravery and toughness and strength because they're they're great things about masculinity but also I think we should be, treat, be teaching young women this the young, young girls the same thing but also not to have bravery and toughness and strength about fighting and physical strength about the bravery and strength to step up and do the right thing at the right time um and the you know the the, the resilience and the toughness of mind to know that you're doing the right thing no matter what the consequences for you personally yeah and that is the biggest strength to be vulnerable yeah but you don't see that at the time no of course <laughs> because, you, because <laughs> no. you're 18 19 years yeah, old of course. and you're, you don't really know your place in the world you're still trying to figure out who you are i thought that was who i was but that wasn't who i was and actually so so subsequently to that to kind of finish to the end of the story was like i found myself three four years later having started to have these thoughts about what the hell was going on in my mind and start to move away from these certain situations that I was in. Uh, I found myself uh, giving the eulogy at my dad's funeral and feeling a sense of pride at the fact that I wasn't crying because my dad, despite all of his amazingness, and, like, you know, he would come home from work and he would look after us, he'd tell us he loved us, he would kiss us, he would look at, you know, he was amazing, but he was still man up, boys don't cry, be a man, hence the title of my book. Nice little plug there. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so I find myself standing next to his coffin, still proving to him that I can fight back my emotions on the second saddest day of my life after the day that he died, obviously. And then three months later, my friends pull me out of a cocaine and alcohol spiral because obviously um, I haven't been dealing with my emotions. And from that point, because I was a journalist, I still am, um, I started to research, like, what the hell? How did, I, how did someone I thought with such strength of mind and such an easy privileged life end up in that situation and that's when I started to unpick it all and that's when I started to do the work that I do now and that's when it all started to make sense. Even in your saddest moments you're not allowing yourself to express your true emotions. Yeah. 
Because I remember my dad picking me up from the swimming bath when I was eight years old, nine years old, and I'd been promoted from the side groups to the middle group, and the middle group didn't have any sides to hold on to. So I was scared. And what does an eight, nine-year-old boy do when he's scared? I cried. So when my dad came to pick me up, my hair wasn't wet. I said, what's up? Why didn't you swim? And the teacher was just like, oh, Chris got upset because he got promoted up a group. And my dad didn't even have to say it. But the way that he looked at me, I could see how embarrassed he was by me for, for, for crying. And, you know, I don't blame him for that. Like, his dad was stoic in the face of gardening. Like, like the only thing that I know that he enjoyed, he still wouldn't even smile. And that's the um, thing, isn't it? It's like your dad has just looked upon that and then these things are carried through generations yeah. after generations. And he tried so hard to change, but he couldn't make it all the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, just... And, and so I was literally doing it, stood next to his coffin, proving to a dead man that I still could hold back my emotions. Like, And of course that messed me up because I didn't have empathy for myself. And so early on you created the conditioning in your head that it's like oh i can't cry because i'm not going to get respect right. and care yeah or to understand the physical benefits of crying when you cry you literally cry out a stress hormone like and you fight we fight that back every day like let it out we've got this evolutionary gift that half the population barely use i've had it where i've been in relationships with men and trying to stay in a relationship with the hyper-masculinity and, and toxic masculinity and that sort of... I don't use that phrase anymore. Oh, sorry. What do you use then? Toxic aspects of masculinity. Because yes. masculinity in and of itself is not toxic. I agree. But when we're saying toxic masculinity, it can be problematic sure. because we're saying people kind of identify that as, oh, you're saying masculinity is a problem yeah. when it's not. Yeah. It's the aspects, the hyper... I don't know what words yeah. you like to use. Hyper, macho, you use Macho is a big thing. Macho culture yes. is a big thing for me, yeah. It's those aspects of masculinity rather than masculinity itself. Yeah, because masculinity is, uh, you know, is a great thing. It's responsible for a lot of great things in the world. It's also responsible for some really crap things in the world. So, you know, it's called those bits out. Yeah. Let's not, let's not demonise the entire thing. One of my ex-boyfriends... He was so challenged by things that he really should have gone to therapy to sort out because, of course, there's different reasons why people behave the way they behave. Maybe their circumstances growing up or the environments that they're in, the patriarchy. The issue that I had was I was constantly forgiving him and being patient with him and things would change for a few weeks and then it would go back to his damaging toxic behaviors which then manifest actually in emotional abuse and I don't think he was doing it on purpose it was just yeah due to all the things that he hadn't worked through but there's only so long you can stick around and wait for somebody to change you know I gave him the space to come to me and to cry and express his truth but actually he should have been accessing that and expressing that and being he should have been doing that in other areas of his life as well because actually it was I was having to deal with everything and I was having to hold him up and look after him and that's not that's not my job you know and for a while I mean I'm saying that now but for a while I thought it was my job because I wasn't aware of boundaries and I was being manipulated and emotionally abused in some sense we really need to allow men to be able to show their emotions and to cry and to show like various aspects of their personality but they need to not expect that it's a woman's job to pick up the pieces like it's not you can't expect a woman to be doing all the emotional labor 
This is exactly what I was going to say to you before. In my work now, when I go and talk, um, I'm mostly talking to the men in the room and I'm like unapologetic about that. But I do this thing where I speak to the women personally, like, and I say, look, women, like I know I'm mostly speaking to men and make no apology for that. But now I'm speaking to you. Every single one of you in your life has done emotional labour for men who have dumped all of their emotions onto you, who are exes, who are male friends, who who don't do it with their other male friends. And I go around the room, individual to women, and I say, stop it, stop it. I point at them and I say, stop it, because my work now has moved. I started being a little bit too attacking of, of, of male spaces and masculinity. My work has moved now. I'm trying to empower the brotherhood. So what I say now is I am not comfortable with you doing that emotion, all of that emotional labour for that one guy. Because what should be happening is that guy comes to you having had conversations with his male friends or with his female friends too, but also his male friends and people in his life and comes to you and say, and, and has a better understanding of his emotions and how he feels. But men don't have that emotional support network that other than, other than with women. And so half the population is doing the, the emotional labour of all the population because we expect it because of all of the ways that men and women are gendered from birth about women being women, caring yes. and men not being caring and, yeah. and caring and compassion and honesty Which and openness. Which those are all things that actually we're not born with, but we're completely put it's into all, boxes. Yeah, it's and, all socialised into yeah. us, yeah. Well, there are, there are theories that actually empathy is... Um, our, our brains are less empathetic, men's brains are less empathetic from birth because of evolutionary factors, but my argument is it doesn't matter either way. If we know that, we should be trying harder to make them empathetic. Sure. So when I broke up with my ex this time last year, I had already rationalised everything in long-winded, in-depth conversations with, amongst other people, my male friends. I love my friends. I'm very lucky to have the emotional network that I do with my friends. Um... And but that's been cultivated over time, didn't used to exist. Um, and we help each other in that respect. But so many guys don't have that. Football's an interesting one because it seems to be the only time men really actually express themselves, which is dangerous. You know, I had it with the ex-boyfriend that I'm talking about and also my stepdad, where if their team didn't win then they would be in a mood or, I mean, sometimes things worse than a mood would happen, let's say. Um, and it was actually really, really scary. I remember being a kid and being really uptight when the football was on, knowing that if the outcome is bad, that means that we're in trouble for the week. It's so scary that if men don't confront their trauma or their emotions, then something like football, which actually is a beautiful thing, it's a universal way to bond with people. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of football, but I can understand why it is such a an amazing sport for many reasons. But yeah, it was really scary knowing that football would have such a um, impact on someone's behavior uh, the the anger and the violence that you see in, uh, associated with football is because uh, men have so few emotional outlets when the football results happens the the outburst of emotion is one of very few outlets that men have for proper visceral emotion you'll see grown men cry over football and that's accepted because 
it's accepted that football is so important to them. And yet, I couldn't cry when my dad died. Yeah. What? Like, do you know what I mean? And and yet, when United scored in the last minute to win the treble in 99, I went batshit crazy. Um, and yeah, like it, it's ridiculous that I can be that happy about something, but I can't feel that sad at the same time. Like, the the, the, the spectrum is, is... Most of the spectrum is closed to men in that respect. The only bits of the spectrum that are opened are kind of ambivalence, uh, happiness, uh, anger. And... I'm, I'm being a bit glib. Obviously, there are more than that. Well, that's yeah, kind of it, really. And all genders experience the same amount of emotions, but... Yeah, they, well, they experience them differently because of the socialisation. That's the sad thing. Yeah. I don't think there was a conscious moment that it happened, but I recognise now that there was a point in my life where I started talking to women without trying to have sex with them. It sounds so stupid now, but it was like I wasn't interested in female companionship, other than my... You know, I've got, like, close female friends when I was at school. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. But basically, since puberty, I don't have that. I didn't have that for a long time. I have no female friends from my time at university, zero, um, which is very telling. But yeah, that was the point. So I started talking to women without trying to have sex with them. And oh my God, started to learn about the experience of 50% of the world. And it was such a stupid thing that I'd missed out on. But such a simple thing to change. But I still go into school and schools and they sit in the lecture theatres or they sit in the halls and you can still see it's like a school disco. There's still all the, all the girls are sitting together. All the boys are sitting together, and then there's always a little group where it's not happening, and you're just like, like I always point them out. Well, I don't point them out specifically, but I always make a point of saying, like, there are certain people in here who clearly have already taken this on board, and I guarantee you they have more fulfilling lives. Yeah, it's just such a shame that so early on that we're taught those things. My friend Lauren, I was her bridesmaid at her wedding. She wouldn't let me wear a dress, which is a shame. Oh, livid. And, uh, <laughs> and then my one shot. I did get my hair and makeup done, though. I looked, oh, yeah. Yes. looked great. Yeah, Love. it was so nice. She used to live like four streets away from me where I grew up. We went to the same primary school, we went to the same secondary school. My dad used to say, so like, what's going on with you and Lauren? Like, what do you mean? It's like, you're spending a lot of time with them. I'm like, yeah, we're mates. Like, you didn't ask me what's going on with me and Sean, did you? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, she's a mate and you could never quite, you're spending a lot of time with Lauren. I'm like, yes, that's what you do with your friends. So even then, it was still a little bit, but again, not his fault because... No, that's all he's that's, known. That's all he's known. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So early on, like, we create these ideas in our head just because the older generation is telling us this is how it is yeah and then we have to do so much work to like change that wiring yeah, yeah. well that's all we can do right is just like have more of these conversations and try you know i'm, I'm very like so I, the thing that i talk about is uh, a lot now is so everyone has a sphere of influence right you have this podcast so your sphere of influence has now grown i have a massive sphere of influence luckily because i get to go into the city i get to go into businesses i get university schools whatever and do all of these things talks and workshops and stuff but i say to the kids in the workshops in particular like, even if you're the nerdiest kid who sits in the library every day or you're the captain of the football team you have a sphere of influence and all we can do in our sphere 
is make it the best place for everyone who is in it and make it make it open and honest and compassionate and communicative and empathetic. What I say to them is like, today, since I've come into here, the school today, like you consider this to be day zero, right? So all the stuff that's happened before today, you need to start forgiving yourself for that because you didn't know better, it's not your fault, but now you know, because I've told you some stuff that you haven't argued with me about, so I'm assuming you must agree with me because I give them the chance to argue and most of them don't. So I'm like, well, then maybe, I never say that I'm right or wrong. I say it's a conversation, but you haven't told me I'm wrong. So taking it as read that you, you agree with, with, mo with most of what I'm saying, you've got in the next five minutes after you leave this hall or the next five days, five weeks, five months, whatever, you will see or hear something that you know deep down is wrong. You know that it's, it's an injustice is being meted out on somebody. And it won't be the first time it happens, it won't be the second or third, whatever, but one day you'll remember that weird bloke that came into your school and told you some stuff and a little trigger will happen in your brain and you'll go, no, you know what, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to allow this anymore. And you either walk away, which is one thing, because I'm not saying everyone can be someone who, who can intervene. Yeah, not everyone has the privilege to do right. so. Right, that's yeah. not fair sure. to, to put that on people. But some people do. The moment that you do that, so I use the analogy of someone who's literally fallen over. When someone falls over, first thing we do is laugh at them. Like, we, it's a metaphor. Like, you don't know why someone's down. And yet, when someone's down, we either step over them, we kick them when they're down, we laugh at them for being down, we just ignore them. So you have no idea how powerful it is to offer them a hand back up. Sure, laugh at them if it's funny, but also laugh laugh with them. Because sometimes yeah. people falling over is pretty funny. But the <laughs> metaphor is different, sure. right? And, and you, you have no idea the power of lifting somebody back up from when they're down. In that moment, because I always say, we're never going to save the world. But in that moment, you've changed the world forever. Mm. And I say to them, like, if the next time one of you does that, you've not, not only have you changed the world forever, I've changed the world forever. And the people who've helped me along the way have changed the world forever. And that way, we can continue this cycle and keep making the world a better, more inclusive, open, honest, communicative, empathetic place. I've said that a lot, can you tell? Um, <laughs> And that's the point, and that's all I'm trying to do. That is, the, that, is the, that is all I'm trying to do with my work. That is it in a nutshell. It's just give people a hand up. Stop, stop stepping over people. Stop pushing people down to, 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 to push your own agenda or to make yourself feel better or to gain social credits. I love that so much. It's so true. It's like you going in to do a workshop or a talk it's like planting that seed and then allowing the rest of the garden to flourish in whatever time it can some people it might take them a while to yeah. you know they might hear a sexist comment that their friends made and they've not quite got the guts to say mm -hmm. anything whether they know it in that moment or it's mm -hmm. going to happen later on in life yeah it, it will change the world in a way and I think we so because of how the world is we feel so helpless we think that we can't change anything but you're right I like the idea of just change just the sphere that you're in. Yeah. Just start there. That's well, enough. Because there is nowhere else that you can start. And that's the point. And you nailed it. Like, you can only... You only have your sphere. That's all you have. Mm. If you're the Prime Minister, your sphere is massive. If you're the nerdy kid who sits in the library every day and doesn't think they have any friends, you've got a small sphere, but you've still got one. Yeah. You've still got one. You've still got a racist dad at home. Like, you, do you know what I mean? You've still got... Uh, a homophobic mate, you know what I mean? You've still got those things. Yeah, and I think it's really important about allyship. I think we got into a bit of a dangerous time with, I'd seen a lot online on social media being like, you know, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, I do this. And it's like, that's all great. And, you know, having um, visibility online is, is can be important, yeah. cool. But what are you doing in your everyday life? Because if you're doing, if you're being an ally to look good and it's kind of, 
for your own success or for your own ego or whatever it, that it's feeding. Or if you're being an ally where no one else is around seeing you do that, you know, when you're, and as we said, not everyone's in a privileged position to do that. You might be vulnerable. You um, might not have the capacity to call people out in that moment. But if you do, and just be aware of your privilege and you can recognise in some moments where you can be an ally, not to be named an ally, but because that is reaching your hand out to somebody and you're changing the world. And, and in, you know, it's helping that person and it's helping you. Yeah. So I only learned that point of it that additional points to it. Because I went into a school and I was like, how dare you be a bystander, blah, blah, blah. And then there was a young woman um, in a hijab and she put her hand up and she was like, well, hang on a second. If I do that, there's a whole world of pain coming my way. And I was just like, whoa, of course. Like, as I was speaking from a place of privilege. So I've changed my narrative again. So it's about listening to everyone around because empathy, empathetic listening is really important too. And not just going into a situation and saying, I, this behaviour that you have done is wrong is saying, hang on a second, why are you doing that? It's why are you doing it? Not saying you're wrong. Because also if you say to guys in particular who have fragile egos, that's part of, that was part of my problem. I wouldn't listen for a long time. If you say to someone you're wrong, their back is up. So you go into a situation and say, "Hey man, why are you doing that?" Or "Hey, what, you know, what, what, why have you said that? What's what's the what's the need for this? Like, you know, this is potentially hurting people." To be able to, instead of calling out, calling in and being like, "Hey, like, what is it that's made you say that?" Or yeah. wh "Where is that coming from?" Rather than "You're that's a, it. yeah." Where's it come from? Yeah. So, are you doing workshops in schools? Or yeah, you, empathy yeah. workshops. Yeah. Okay, and what age is that? Uh, 13, 12, 13, but 13 to 18 usually. I'm developing an adult's one at the moment, but that's more difficult. Okay. I'm working on it. So, that's, I'm guessing, for all, all genders. I need, I need everyone in the room together to help yes. with the narrative. It's really important to have spaces that are, you know, like a, a men's circle or something sure. because it's a... It's a safe and it's a um, positive space. Yeah. And the same for women sometimes if they're sexual assault survivors yeah. and so on, you need to create those spaces. But wherever we can, if it's not, if it doesn't specifically need to be separated, then I think we should be speaking to everyone in Absolutely. the same space. But yeah. So I'm also not totally against the concepts of male-only spaces. What I'm against is male-only spaces which are based around a negative or toxic ethic. Right. Um, or a lack of, or a complete sure. lack of ethic. And what well, Bullingdon Club to go two opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, do you remember the the Presidents Club? The Presidents Club was this like dinner where all these men were in this room, all these rich men were in this room, and they'd hired all these like sexy female waitresses um, to come and serve them, and men were groping them and stuff. And the FT sent a reporter, and it's like, well, why does that space exist? Like, mm. you know, golf clubs where men where 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 women aren't allowed to be members. Like, well, why not? Yeah. Like, what are you doing in there that? that excludes women like you're not you're, you're not sitting you're sitting around talking about business or whatever or about i don't know because i've never been in a male on the golf club so i shouldn't really suggest what goes on there but why are there spaces like if there's a good reason for a space then fine but then i also have this caveat to that i went into a union to do a talk uh, about a year ago there was a guy who put his hand up and he was quite a nervous guy and he was just like hey can i ask you a question i said yeah so why are there no male spaces in in this union and i was like well i'm not from this union but can i ask you a question have you tried to set one up and he said no and i said to the women in the room how many of you have set up or are members or are active members of a women's only group and like all the women put their hands up some of the women put two hands up um and i was just like okay so who in the room here men talking to you anyone identifies as a man who here would like to be part of a men's group in this union 
And some of the women started to pull their faces, and I was like, don't do that. I was like, please don't pull your face. The men have the right to to have their space if they if they require it for a specific reason that isn't exclusive isn't it isn't exclusionary it's inclusionary for certain men who need it um and a few like three or four men put their hands up and i was like right okay there's five of you in this room great so at the end i can't do the work for you but at the end come and join me stand around and we'll talk about how you can do it about an hour later everyone shuffles out the room and there's just one guy left sitting there in the room and i just looked at him and i said there you go mate mm-hmm. like that's the problem that is that the men men aren't willing to do this work for the brotherhood they want it you know they're so used to having having all the emotional labor done for them that they don't want to be involved in setting it up and running it they just want it to exist yeah they feel they're entitled for it to exist but they don't want to do the work to do it and themselves. how's it going to exist if you're not going to create the thing boom i've heard you talk about before maybe it was on the panel you were talking about whatsapp groups they want to put their boys will be boys stuff yeah. The, the bants. yeah bants but then the inclusive space is men need a space where they don't have women around because of how society has made them feel yeah that they can express their emotions yeah, I, mean, I, that... have a, I have a perfect example of it which, I, which is probably what i talked about um is a friend of mine had a stag do and I, I wasn't invited he's not a close friend um and he was telling me about the fact that he had uh, a whatsapp group set up with everyone on the whatsapp group including two women who were coming some of the guys weren't happy that a woman was coming on a stag do because men can't be friends with women am i right um <laughs> yeah exactly um and then there was a second whatsapp group set up by some of the other guys where they invited everyone on the stag do into the second whatsapp group except the two women wow so the main whatsapp group was set up with all of the functional logistical stuff and maybe a little bit of light-hearted bants but then there was this second podcast uh, podcast why did i say that uh, there was a second WhatsApp group set up where all of the, the all of the nonsense was going on, and it's just like, well, if you're not comfortable saying and doing those things in front of women, don't do them because you know that there are that there is something within that behaviour that is damaging. That, well, that is damaging, or that is crossing some sort of line right. of decency, and you're using women as your barometer for decency rather than anyone in the group going, well, hang on a second, like. Either this behaviour is absolutely fine and the women could be included too and you're actually treating them like delicate little flowers by excluding them or you're accepting that your behaviour is wrong and you don't want to be caught by these women being indecent. So, like, it's again, it's a little microcosm. I love using these little uh, these examples. It's a little microcosm of, of, of exclusionary... That's an exclusionary space there, which doesn't need to exist for either of those two reasons. And some people would possibly be like, oh, whatever, it's just a WhatsApp group. But you have to understand that they start with, like, a small conversation or someone making a sexist remark, and then it builds from that point on. Yeah. But also imagine being those two women if they find out that there was this... Because two women going on a stag do with loads of guys that they don't know is already probably quite intimidating for yeah. them. For them to then potentially find out, you know, all of the all of the private jokes that will have developed in this WhatsApp group, the second one that they weren't a part of, they will therefore then be again, be, be cast as, as even more outsiders than they were before. So it's completely lacking in empathy again because nobody's realising how hurtful this can be for these two women who are p- going to find it quite tough to be in this situation. Like it's it, it's ridiculous. I mean, I was the physical embodiment of it, throwing that drink on my friend Holly. She tried to enter a man's space, what we had determined to be a man's space, and rather than just saying to her, "Oh, we've booked this with this place out," and actually, you, you won't want to be in here anyway. Like, just trust us. And she would have just turned around and gone and found a friend. I threw a drink on her because she dared to enter this male space. Like, how, like it, it, air. 
I was wondering how you felt about speaking on your sexuality because for me as a pansexual woman I feel really empowered by claiming my identity as a disabled pansexual working class woman. How was it for you to claim your sexuality because you're bisexual right? Yeah I came out at 28, 20, oh, I'm bi, pan, whatever. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I came out, I was like, I came out at 28, I think. Okay. Which was because I was trapped. I made out with a guy at a party when I was 17 at a house party back in Manchester. And we were making out for like half an hour. And I think when I when I started to get a little bit too into it, I ran downstairs and shouted at my mates, oh my God, this guy Mark's tried to make out with me. Like instantly yeah. put the barrier up, and from then on, I fought against it for a long time. And then when I was about 25, 26, I started going to some queer spaces with some new friends that I'd made, and being like, "Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I, I dress up a lot, and I wear glittery, sparkly things, and makeup, and whatever." And I started doing that more and more, and feeling more comfortable with it. And it was actually when I was with my ex, because we we were a open relationship, and she was just like, "Every time you go out on a night out, you just keep making out with guys." And I was like, yeah. So? Because for me, it didn't matter. Mm. I, I don't I don't label myself as bi, like, as bi or pan or whatever. I just, sure. like, I just kind of fancy whoever I fancy. Yeah. And I know for some people it's very important that they label that. That's fine. Um, but she was just like, mm, you realise that you're this thing. And I was like, yeah, whatever. It's not important. And she was like, no, but it kind of is, though, for you to accept that and just not ignore it. And it was like, you know, it was just another thing. And I was just like, yeah, you, you're right, actually. Yeah. Um, and I managed to come out on on the TV, which was nice. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, very subtly in a question that I asked to somebody else. Okay. Um, in a documentary that I made, yeah. But, it was, but that was really liberating like, to yeah, do that. Yeah, I bet. I think as well, we've still got a lot of work to do with biphobia. Basically, as a woman, it's hypersexualized, and men always assume that it's like, oh, you're just greedy or you're just doing it for the male gaze and then for men it's really stigmatized and we've got a lot of work to do for bisexual men because we're really letting them down by telling them that they are just gay and they're trying to find an excuse to explore and they won't just admit that they're gay people seem to have such a hard time with accepting that you can fall in love with a person no matter what gender that is yeah i just find humans attractive yeah yeah if it might come along at yeah. whatever time in my life if you had to bottle a feeling or an emotion that you could open at any time what would it be Aha, that's <laughs> a great question if i could just open it at any time mm. contentment so i have a tattoo of calvin and hobbs um calvin from calvin and hobbs Calvin and Hobbes is the the little kid with the stuffed tiger. Oh God, I can't think. There's always there's, there's always like on the back of cars. There's always ones of him pissing on like. Oh right, yes. Him, but he, that, but that's not real. That's not Bill Watson didn't draw that. I'm, okay. I'm a bit of a super fan. Um, <laughs> so uh, he's saying in it, happiness isn't good enough for me. I demand euphoria, which I love because that is what I'm like in my brain. I'd always demand like I like fun is my favorite thing. I want to be happier and happier and happier. But actually, what I'd learned more recently is we need to just learn to be more content and not constantly striving for better and better and better and better so for me if so many people i see them i just want to give them just a little bit of contentment just like recognize that everything's okay content energy is such a great energy it's so true like i think people have that idea of oh if i'm content then i'm not striving you can have drive and you can still be content yeah. with the moment that you're in but contentment is being present yes
what what have you got coming up next and what can we keep an eye out for where can we buy your book oh you can buy my book anywhere except amazon you can buy it on amazon but please don't yeah um, please foils don't. waterstones buy it from the publisher uh get in contact with me uh also if you work in uh any sort of educational place or in uh workplace i do talks and i do yeah empathy workshops and yeah I, that's i'm trying to get out of the journalism um, and do more of that because it has really direct impacts on people. The community work is yeah. really where it's at. Having like a 15-year-old boy come up to you at the end of an assembly and just collapse crying on you, just like, there's nothing, nothing beats that feeling, you know. Thank you for joining The Wobbly Road. I'm your host and producer, Tatum Swithenbank. A huge thanks to my co-producer, Bridie Addison-Child. We are powered by Transmission Roundhouse, music by James Christie. Catch you next time. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.